So we're going to talk about falling in love with you for our last session. Now, here's some of the challenges with the views of self-love. So here's the challenges. There's different views of self-love. The worldview will tell us that self-love means I need to puff myself up. It's all about comparison. I just got to be better than everybody else around me. That the standard is in the people around me, it's in the world, it's in the culture. It's all about glorifying self. It's all about getting in touch with yourself and all about promoting yourself. It's focused on you and your own abilities. It's all about superiority and self-esteem. And we know as a church people that that's prideful and we don't want to fall into the world's view of self-love. But what about the religious view of self-love? I think in, an, in, a, in the uh, attempt to try and temper the worldview, the religious view has basically said, you should be humble to the point that I often fear we humiliate the design of God in us. That I can't accept a compliment because if I accept a compliment, if you say, that's good preaching, pastor, and I say, thank you, that that's arrogant. Instead of saying, no, I recognize that there's an anointing, that there's a gifting, that there's a thing on my life from God, and that he's gifted me to care, and I'm going to boast in the works of the Lord in my life. Come on, why have we not accepted that? So the religion tells us that the self-love, we, we need to kind of almost be so humble that we become self, uh, self-abasing and, and we're not allowed to accept compliments and we're not allowed to say that we're good at a thing and we're not allowed to say, yes, that was good what God did through me. And somewhere in there, there's got to be a balance. See, the religious view conveys that loving yourself is not being humble. And that we should never position ourselves before other people. It's rooted in lowering yourself. Again, often to the degree of humiliation. We often hear the passage in Philippians 2.3. It says, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each, other, let each esteem others better than himself. But this part we leave out. Where it goes on, it says, let each of you not only look out for his own interests but also the interest of others. And I think sometimes in the name of Jesus, we let go of our own interests so that we can sacrifice for other people. And that's not what this passage says. This passage is talking about the ability to guard your own interest, to guard your own path, to guard your own design, while also being mindful of the interests of those around you. There's a balance that we find in that when we find ourselves positioned in the person of Jesus Christ. I can't define the balance for you. In fact, in a moment, the balance for me might be different today than it is tomorrow. That's why we have to stay knit to God. So that he can define for me in a moment what is the interest of the kingdom. What is the interest, God, of the kingdom in me? And then there's the self-view of love of self-love, whereas I have to judge myself. I need to have my own opinion. It's all about what I think. You know, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about, I care very little if I'm judged by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself because when I do, I find myself innocent. But that's what it says. I'm not making it up. And it says, but instead, I'll lay it out before the Lord and I'm allow him to judge me. 
I'm allow him to give me his opinion. See, sometimes, well, let me give you an example. As mothers, a lot of times we come home, little Johnny says, Susie says, I'm ugly. And we say, oh, that's not true, honey. Mommy thinks you're so cute. And we make our opinion, our thoughts, our perception to trump the world's perception. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, neither should our opinion amount to anything, but rather the judgment of the Lord. So a better response to little Johnny is, do you think that God thinks you're ugly? Who cares what mom, of course mommy thinks you're cute. I'm biased. See, and a lot of times when we're in a pickle, we go to our friends, even our Christian friends, even our pastor, and we ask him to pray, but we haven't asked for God's judgment. And so we're asking for the opinion of the world, or we're coming up with our own opinion Instead of going to the Lord and saying, I care very little if I'm judged in any human... That means I care very little about the opinion of my friends. In fact, I don't even care about my own opinion that I come up with in my own head to try and satisfy myself and make me feel better. But instead, I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to ask him, what do you say, God? What do you say about this scenario? Because we're going to respond even to ourselves one way or another. We're either going to self-abase or we're going to boast and build ourselves up. And neither response is the correct response. So God's view of self-love is rooted in creation. Why? Because God remembers the beauty of our design. When Adam and Eve walked in the garden, I guarantee you there was a boasting in their creation. Come on, they were naked. And they were walking around boastfully and pridefully in their design. There was nothing in them that was like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, they understood the beauty of their design. They understood how deeply they were loved, and they were also in love with their creation. So they were in love with their creation because they walked as one with God. Goes back to the very first session. You will not walk in relationship with others until you are walking with God, and you will not walk in relationship with yourself until you are walking with God. See, when we talk about reconciliation, we've said this several times, reconciliation brings about revelation. And the more you reconcile who you are in Christ, the more that you will gain a revelation of who you are in Christ. Come on, remember in a, a Song of Songs when she says, I am the Rose of Sharon. I am the fairest lily of the valley. Why? Because she saw the way her lover stared at her. See, she was the beloved. They didn't have a mirror in that day, so she gandered, I must be awesome, because look at the way this guy stares at me. Come on, when we're looking into the face of Christ, if we get a gander of the way he is staring at us, the love that he has for us, the fact that he can't take his eye off of you, that the king is enthralled with your beauty. That's what it says in Isaiah 62. When we capture that revelation, we also will be like, check this out. Have you seen, we say this at work all the time, be like, guys, have you seen this? Now, is that being boastful and arrogant? We're being fun. But we're trying to really encourage one another to boast in our design. And I'm not just talking about your physical design. I'm talking about your gifts, the things you're good at. Your personality. Come on, some of us don't even like our own personality in the room. God doesn't make any junk. Come on, remember those little shirts that kids wear? They're like, God, don't make no junk. 
Some of us need to wear those shirts and read them every day over ourselves. And so when we think about going back to creation and how we are rooted and we're designed to walk in that love relationship, we're designed to see our reflection in the face of Christ. You're designed in his image. So how can you look at yourself I'm not just talking about your physical image. I'm talking about your identity, your image. How can we look at the image and not be in love with it if it's designed in Christ? It seems so simple, right? Right now, we're we're getting revelations. We see scales falling from people's eyes going, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. That I can boast in the things that God is doing in my life. I can boast in my design. I can boast in my creation because I'm boasting in my creator and his workmanship in Christ, which is me. And that's you. And the more we fall in love with the things that God has done in my life, the things that God has invited me into, the more we will automatically guard those things in our lives the more we will automatically guard those things in our lives. Think with me about Psalm 139. I will praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. How many say you can say you're familiar with that verse? All right. How many of you can say that you are familiar with the next part that says, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows, that word yada means acquainted with or to be one with. For that, marvelous are your works. Who's your works? I'm your works. I'm fearfully and wonderful. And my soul is one with that, that, that idea, that truth. My soul knows it very well. Very well. I tell a story in, uh, in my book, To Love and to Be Loved, of when I had to reconcile the size of my hips. It sounds ridiculous, but uh, I've, I, the Lord kept bringing up this picture mom you probably remember the picture that was hanging on the wall with the four girls and the tutus and I was wearing the purple and every time I would remember this picture all I remembered is that the tutus that they had made for our class there was only four of us my tutu was too small because my hips were too big I had hips even as a five-year-old I had a little curvy shape which is cool now but it wasn't cool then so it's always been cool in Christ by the way so (laughs) so about probably about maybe about 10 years ago or so I'm I'm just kind of in my own quiet time with the Lord. And the Lord keeps showing me this picture from when I'm a childhood, staring at this picture. And I'm like, why is God bringing this picture up to me? What, what does it do with this picture? So I finally start to realize, man, when I look at this picture, I feel kind of yucky. Like, I don't like the way it looks. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I looked in this picture. My mom had this on the freaking wall my whole life growing up. And so I'm remembering this picture. And so I finally said to Shirley, I think there's, an, there's a healing moment here. And so she comes in and she says, ah, this is the verse that the Lord revealed to me. He says that your soul does not know very well that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Well, I start crawling up the chair because I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm going through some deliverance or something. So I feel something coming up out of my throat. I'm like, you know, not ready. But the reality is I had a knowledge of this verse and I had a knowledge that God said, you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Everything about you is fearfully and wonderfully made but I think my hips are too big. Let me tell you how the Lord reconciled that moment. He took me back into that spot and he said, first of all, even then I knew you would not fit a pattern made by the world. And second of all, I want you to remember 
that you were the only girl wearing purple, which is the color of my royalty. So in a moment when I reconciled, I got a fresh revelation of who I was and what God was doing in my life. But I had to press into that moment. Come on, that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to pause and say, I got to push the pause. I got to linger in this space. I got to come to the altar in front of everybody because if I don't press into this moment, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake here. So our ministry to God should automatically lend itself to a new perspective for your love for self. See, that came out of my time of ministry to God. That he should, I'm ministering to God, mind of my own. I'm probably speaking to my prayer line, and I just keep seeing this picture. Just keeps flashing him, and I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And the Lord's like, love you too much, love you too much, love you too much. Until finally I pause, I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And it seems ridiculous, but the lie that came out of that core moment, you would be amazed at how many ways it affected areas of my life. And God rewrote that moment. And reminds me on a regular basis, but remember, there's not a pattern in this world that fits you. I had to have a pattern designed to fit you. And so God rewrote that moment, and that's what reconciliation is really about. It's about allowing the Lord to free you by his love. Do you think with me for a moment about the woman who was being stoned? Here she comes in. We've got all these different perceptions in the moment. We just talked about the world view, the religious view, yourself view, and God view. Okay? So she comes in. We know the story. She's caught in the act of adultery. Now, we don't know. Scripture doesn't say but it's very possible she was dressed inappropriately. Because she's caught in the act of adultery, and she's drugged, by the way, to the temple for judgment, which is a whole other message in and of itself. And, and they meet Jesus there. And you know how the story goes, and, and I, I like to kind of dramatize things, like, a, like you're watching a movie, and there's this big hype, and it's a lot of noise, and everybody's like, ah, she's a judge, she's a little, and they come in, and they're like, teacher, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. According to the law, she is supposed to be stoned. But what say you? And I almost give this picture of the, of the, the camera just going zoom. And like zooming in on Jesus' face and everything gets silent. And one of the beautiful things is, is that's when we see Jesus kind of pause. He captures the moment, right? We talk a lot in the counseling room about how the power of a holy pause. That sometimes we just need to stop and doodle on the ground for a moment. Because I believe what Jesus is doing, we don't know, Scripture doesn't say, but what I believe he's doing is he's saying, my opinion doesn't matter right now. I need to wait for the Father's opinion. See, because there was an opinion of the religion, there was an opinion of the worldview, and then Jesus comes back with God's opinion and says, I no longer condemn you. Remember he says, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. Then he says, woman, where are these who condemn you? Now this is a key part of the story. Because in this moment, she has to choose. She has to decide, is my culture right? What about all the people that were cheering on and saying, yeah, the law is correct? What about my own experiences and the fact that I really was caught in the act of adultery? That speaks a message in and of itself. But then I see this man 
who bypasses all of those things and sees something that nobody else sees. What am I going to see? It would be like the end of Cinderella when the prince comes back and says, you're the one the shoe fits and I want you to come to the castle with me. If she were to say, that's great, that sounds amazing, I see that you love me, but apparently you don't recognize my rags and that I'm just a worthless daughter who's lost her dad. So if you don't mind, I'm going to hang out here in my rags and I'm not going to receive your love. I'm not going to accept that in a moment I can be lifted up out of my pit of hell and dropped into the kingdom of light. That I could be picked up out of my rejection, out of my abuse, out of my past, out of my culture, out of my family structure, come on, out of my family DNA and dropped into the truth of the kingdom. In a moment just like that, what are you going to choose? Because that's what reconciliation is all about. It's about coming to that place where you're going to have a conversation with the Lord. You're going to recognize the world has an opinion. You're going to recognize I have an opinion. And then you're going to say, but what say you, God? But what say you? Because I'm not leaving here until I come completely into an agreement. Until I know very well my soul, my thinker, everything about me, all of my thoughts, all of my emotions, all of my choices are in alignment with what you say, God. My thinker, my feeler, my picker, it's all coming. I choose what you say. I don't feel it. I don't care. I don't see it. I don't care. Because if God says it, I believe it. Come on, we got to get to a place where we just get stubborn about it. Because God said. Because God said. Because God said. If God said it, I will believe it. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to think it. I don't even have to necessarily see evidence of it in my life. I don't care what my mama says. I don't care what my husband says. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care. If God said it, I believe it. And it is that moment that we're talking about where you shift in and you choose to an agree, come to into agreement and say, if God says he loves me, if God says he has perfected my design, if God says I am worthy, if God says I have value, if God says I have purpose, I don't have to see it, I don't have to feel it, I choose to believe it because if God said it, I believe it. We have to come to that place. I'm telling you, I told you I was going to give you some permission to be a little selfish, to be a little stubborn, and to be a little boastful in what God has done for you and in your life. It is time for us as a kingdom people to step back into our rightful inheritance. And by golly, I'm going to be a a braggadocious about it. Have you seen what my God has done? Have you read the books that God has given me to write? Because it's good stuff. And I have no problem saying that. You want to know why? Because when I read it, I receive I'm like, whoa, there's an anointing on this. I don't know where that came from. And the Lord will take me back to that spot and what he was doing in my life. And when he gave me that revelation, and I'll be reminded that God has placed an anointing on me. He's placed an anointing on you. And by golly, I'm going to let the world see it. It is time for us to come out of the closet and be a little more braggadocious about the anointing that God has given to us. Instead of for the sake of humility, being quiet and frankly apathetic, irrelevant and dismissed by the world, deemed as an unessential. I think it was you one time that pastor preached on Jonah in the middle of a storm. They're like, we don't mean to man the church of God. 
He even saw himself as irrelevant. He was like, hey, it's me. Just pitch me overboard. I can't help you in your storm. In fact, I'm probably the cause of your storm, so just throw me overboard. We don't even see ourselves relevant in the world. We don't see ourselves relevant. And God wants us to come back into the relevance. 